Something's wrong at Ocean View Park. I've been all over the park, and it's perfect, Sam. A powerful and mysterious force is at work. Beginning to think we're in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. And a holiday weekend is about to become a nightmare of devastation. In a few hours, the gates are going to be open. Thousands of people are going to come to the biggest party in the world, Sam. And nothing's going to stop. Get out of that car! Can anyone stop the death of Ocean View Park? What happens when in 1979 the ABC Television Network partners with Playboy to make a television movie that never quite decides if it wants to be an Irwin Allen-esque disaster film, a love American-style romantic dramedy, or a 70s supernatural thriller? But who the hell cares because we get to watch an actual full-size roller coaster get blown to kingdom come? Also, was this movie written by people on Quaaludes? Welcome to the death of Ocean View Park. Hello, and welcome back to Scream Addicts. Uh um ah uh, you know what foy help me out here man okay now the normal version of this show is called scream addicts where i invite on a creative in horror to basically pick a movie that they love and we chat about it at length for an hour and then the spinoff show the first spinoff show that i have is uh hammer pub wherein uh co-host paul farrell and i we uh we basically work our way through the hammer horror catalog <laughs> while drinking and providing commentaries now that you and i are doing a show together what the hell are we going to call it well, we'll have to figure out something like that. We could call it foyerism. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Or, 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 or the fact that this is the show where you have to watch the movies that I pick for you, and you have to do it sober. So maybe, I don't know, beware. <laughs> <laughs> There's options. We'll have to work on that. No, hey, I, I personally, I like foyerism. Now, I remember when I pitched this, I did to you. Uh, it was, uh, you know, we had talked briefly about possibly uh, sort of bringing the Foycast back and, uh, you know, kind of bringing that under the Scream Addicts banner. But for listeners out there who don't know, can you tell them exactly what the Foycast was and when it sort of existed and what it did back in the day? Well, that was, about, yeah, that was years ago back on Dredge Central uh, when I just, uh, apparently enough people enjoyed me listening to me rambling about nonsensical bad movies and such on, uh, our, on the, uh, dinner for fiends podcast that they suddenly did like, Hey, give, let's have his own podcast, which they quickly regretted. But <laughs> <laughs> now I remember dinner for fiends. I was on a couple of dinner for fiends, but, uh, yeah. now Foycast, how long did that last for? How many episodes did you wind up doing? I don't even remember exactly. I think it wasn't it wasn't that many because it was very infrequent. Uh, but I, it was it was about maybe I think maybe uh, fifteen or so. I think we did. Okay, all right. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll uh, we'll try and be less uh, <laughs> less infrequent with this. I'm going to start juggling like the uh, the original show Hammer Pub and this show as well. So what do you say? Well, I, do you want to do like maybe? I, I, well, I believe your actual pitch to me was we'll do it once a month. And you can pick whatever movie you want. And then I think you added something like, but please not the Stone Man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, yeah, not for not for this spinoff cast. Like the Stone Man at this point, we've worked it up so much. It has to be its own special kind of yes. one-off episode in the future. Yes, that, that will be the one. It'll be me and Feeney and you, and you'll probably bring Paul into this. Yep. And then and Paul will finally watch the Stone Man, and then he will curse your existence even more than me and Feeney. No, we, you we, <laughs> we need Paul because we need that one guy who just has put fresh eyes on it. We we need at this point I'm a little jaded, like I know what I'm getting into, but he's 
he's he's an innocent in all this you know he's he 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 has not experienced the uh ah, the tortures of the stone man yet or, or the worst part is he ends up siding with me and Feeney, and then you're just completely like, you know what? <laughs> I'm getting hammered right now. I don't even need Christopher Lee. <laughs> I will burn every spinoff Scream Addicts as to the ground if that's the case. No more Hammer Pub. No more foyerism. No. I, uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll burn my microphone if that happens. I don't know. It, it pro- Honestly, it probably will happen. You know what? I'm content to be the one cantankerous bastard here who, for whatever reason, does not see any value in that movie. But you know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid I'm going to revisit the movie and wind up loving it, too. And there's going to be, like, no drama, no conflict what- <laughs> whatsoever to that episode. We're just going to be introducing people to this bizarre little oddity. But I'm wondering... Is that pretty much what we're going to be doing with this uh, this podcast? What is the mission statement of voyeurism? If listeners out there are tuning in who are a fan of Scream Addicts or just happen across this uh, this particular episode their first time out checking out this channel, what would you say we're going to be doing on this podcast, Boy, I ask that for them, and I also ask that for me. I would say that the movies where I'm going to... I, I, I kind of have an idea for this. We're like, let's pick movies that... If you go online, you're not going to find a million plus reviews of these films. Movies that are movies that may not be like, oh, this is a good movie. You should go see it. But it does have a quality that makes you go, you know what? There's something to talk about here, even if it's not even if it's not a very good movie. It, it's it, there's there's definitely some sort of at, at best schlock value at worst. What the hell were they thinking? <laughs> Okay, so you're not talking like full-on Golden Bat-level wabi-sabi here. You're talking well, more like, no, let's we, just we, shine we, a light. We, we might get a few of those. This hey, is not one of those, but... It is not. So, you uh, you know, you, you were going through, just to let listeners know out there, you, uh, you kind of presented a couple of options. You kind of settled on one that I'm sure we're going to be visiting in the future. But at the last minute, you pulled the rug out, and you chose a completely different movie. Now... I, 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 yeah, I chose I chose a different movie because, as I already told you, I think we're going to be chewing on that other one for a while. And this episode, we're kind of we're kind of in a time crunch, so it's like let's pick something that's really kind of kind of fairly obscure. Like I said, if if you go to if you type in like if you go to YouTube and type in this movie's title with the word review, I'm not sure you'll find any. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Because, first right. of all, because the first problem with this movie is that. It's a TV movie from 1979 that most people who even saw it probably only saw it when it played. It used to run in syndication a lot in like the 80s up until about part of the 90s. And then it's just kind of vanished because it's never been put out on VHS as far as I know. It's certainly not on DVD or Blu-ray. I mean, it doesn't really seem to ever turn up on cable anymore. Didn't even make it to VHS. Now, I will say, uh, you sent me a link. It is available to view on YouTube. And if that's the only... I mean, if it didn't make it on the home video, I have no qualms whatsoever about watching a bootleg version on YouTube whatsoever, if that's the only way that we can see it. But just to let people know, if you do go to YouTube, just punch in The Death of Ocean View Park. And then uh, then you well, check it out after you listen to this, uh, <laughs> this, uh, this commentary, this review, this whatever the hell it's going to be. What's interesting is that the the 70s and 80s, there were like tons of TV movies. And then they used to play in syndication for like, for like, like, again, up until about like about the mid 90s. And then something just changed with how television brought you. 
And so there's like, I mean, there's a lot of, there's actually some like genuinely good, like even horror movies that were made for television in the 70s and 80s. If you want to watch them, you pretty much, you, know, you can probably find it on YouTube. That's it. You know, myself and Paul talked about this. Actually, the very last episode that would have gone up, we all did a commentary for, uh, oh, the plague of the zombies. And at some point we got onto the, uh, the idea of 70s made for TV horror films and how kind of utterly singular they are. They're not like anything else. They're not like 80s made-for-TV horror movies. They're not like any theatrical feature. What is it about 70s made-for-TV horror movies? What What is it about them that makes them so special and unique and immediately recognizable the moment you start to watch one? I think it's mostly because they were all still kind of following the sort of uh, the Twilight Zone, Night Gallery... Kolchak, the Night Stalker, they, they were kind of following that kind of formula where they were actually genuinely going for suspense and horror. And because it was TV and they had limit, very limited budget and very limited uh, special effects and very, and they, they had, you know, sensors very, even, even more hardcore on them back then and what they could not show. I mean, you really kind of had to, and some of them end up being kind of slow and listless and some of them actually have... You know what it is? If you watch them, a lot of them, they have that kind of creepy, eerie vibe to them. They're not really scary, but there's something kind of, even when they're a little bit on the slow side, even when they're hindered by their budget, even when they're very dated, they have that going for them. And some of them actually have a little bit of a, like a camp value to them. If you've ever seen, a, <laughs> what is it called again? Devil of Zotan, the uh, devil dog, the hound from hell. Oh God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the end, you finally see the demonic dog, and they've clearly just they got like some glowy effects on a dog that clearly has fake horns on it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have like some that are actually like genuinely creepy. Like there's one from like it's actually from the early '80s called "Don't Go to Sleep." I've never seen that. Uh, a family, uh, their their uh, their daughter gets killed in a car accident, and now like an evil version of her her spirit is now coming back and like turning the other daughter in crazy and killing off the family. It's, it's almost like a, like a, it, it feels like a kind of movie that a James Wan would have made today, but it's like, it's an 80s TV movie. Yeah. When do you so. think we're going to get to that point where 70s TV horror movies are going to start getting remade? Uh, just, just by the droves. I thought that was going to happen with the Guillermo del Toro uh, produced remake of, uh, Oh bloody hell! What was the uh, what was the title? Don't be of afraid that? of the dark. Don't be afraid of the dark. Which wound up, I mean, you know, the one good thing about that remake is it actually pushed me to go and watch the original, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And the remake maybe, uh, maybe, maybe isn't at all. But you know, you have you have other great little gems throughout the seventies. We have, um, you know, I I love Curtis's uh, trilogy of terror. I adore Dead of Night, which I think is fucking fantastic. Um, you know, I've talked about it more than once on this show, but uh, look what's happened to Rosemary's Baby, I think is fucking fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I've always had a heart, uh, a soft spot for Gargoyles, which is an early 70s TV movie featuring some of Stan Winston's early. That's a prime example of one that both has the eerie, creepy quality and the camp value to it all at the same time. All right, I'm going to write that one down. I've never seen Gargoyles. Oh, okay. Well, that actually might be worthy of an episode then. Okay, is it relatively uh, obscure, or is that something that, that's... Uh... That, one actually, that one you can probably find on DVD. That one actually has been given a release. Good, yeah. good, good. Okay, now, 
I got to tell people out there, uh, Foy, one of the things I love about you, you are always great to recommend movies that are very much off the beaten path, which I'm certain this podcast is going to tackle, um, you know, title by title. But I got to tell you, like when, when you knock it out of the park, man, like I, when you recommend the Golden Bat, like Golden Bat to me is just such an utter blast. I think it's I, I and I say this uh, with with with. Absolute sincerity. I think it's one of the best movies ever made. I adore it. I, there's something there. Seriously, I, I am honestly, I'm being tr- truthful when I say that. There is something. Uh, Zena Dixon would say that the movie is magical, and she would be right. Like, it, it, there's something just incredible about it. But then, you know, then we have a movie like, uh, oh, what is the? We actually did a podcast on it once. Electric Werewolf. Uh, what was the title? Oh, the Werewolf of Woodstock. The Werewolf of Woodstock, which is not necessarily. By the way, a 70s TV movie. 70s TV movie, which now that might not be a great movie, but it has a charm and yeah. and it's fun, right? And then occasionally you'll throw a stone man my way, which is just kind of inept and not fun. And I got to tell you, when it comes to the death of Ocean View Park, it's kind of like a sampler platter of all of the different types of movies that you recommended to me because there are times, there are stretches of this movie, Foy, that are just kind of dull and not particularly yeah. well made. And then there are times when the movie is actually kind of charming and kind of well made. And, you know, it shows a world and a place that I, I just have fun watching unfold in front of me, right? And then when you get to the end, much like Golden Bat, it's just utterly bonkers and insane and fun to watch. Yeah, well, you, you, you described this movie best when you said sampler platter. Because this movie feels like a producer says, like, okay, I have an idea for a movie. The disaster, the disaster movies are big in the 1970s. Let's do a disaster movie. Also, you know what else? All those supernatural movies, The Omen, The Exorcist, those are, let's put that in there, too. And, and you know what? It, you know what's really big on TV right now? Romantic dramas like The Love Boat, Love American Style, all these shows that, that were, like, even before, you know, before most of our time. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or if you were around, you were probably too young and not watching them anyway. But it's like, so it's like you have this movie that's trying to have three different genres going at once. But the whole point is why this movie exists is because this amusement park that you see in this movie in Norfolk, Virginia, was I believe planning to close down, and they get and the producers were like, the producers came to them and like, hey, we're making a TV movie. Can we blow up your big roller coaster for real? And they're like, well, we were going to demolish it anyway. So, yeah. So that's what you, the whole movie exists just to blow up a roller coaster. And they actually blew up, they demolished a real roller coaster. Which is quite impressive for a television movie. Oh, I absolutely love it. And that reminds me, I love that sort of, uh, you know, capitalizing on, you know, just actual real world, uh, you know, destruction. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong about this. Didn't uh, Tim Burton with Mars Attacks, didn't he actually use a real yeah, building in Las Vegas getting destroyed for for part yes, of the movie? Yes. they Yeah. And so did uh, that. Yes, that did happen for Mars Attacks. And uh the hospital scene in the Dark Knight is also a, a real hospital that was had been shut down, abandoned. It was going to be demolished anyway, so they blew it. They demolished it for real, and like, oh, and that became Gotham General that the the Joker blows up.
<laughs> and I will say, you know, I mean, there is <laughs> when you get to the end of this movie and um, I guess folks out there listening, uh, spoiler alert, if you want to go ahead and stop this, it's really not going to matter. There's not much in the way of this movie that we're going to spoil. If you listen to the ad at the beginning of this podcast, you know where it's all going to go. And that's well, why wait, you wait, would wait, tune in wait, in the wait, first wait. place. First of all, you can't you can't have, you can't cry spoiler alert because if you watch this movie. The first thing they show you in the movie is scenes of the end of the movie. Being, I, th I think we need to explain the plot of this movie, what little there is. I leave that to you. So let's start with, I guess we should have to start with the first thing that comes up in the movie, which is the pregnant psychic woman. And I, I for the life of me, I, do you remember what her name was? Um, I, I, I have forgotten her name. I just, I just, I have some notes here, and I just describe her as pregnant psychic woman. Foy, I got to tell you, out of all of the people in the movie, the only name that I remember is the lead guy being named oh, Sam I, Jackson. I okay, yeah, I got it. Sheila. Her name is Sheila. Uh, yeah, she's a pregnant woman who is apparently having nightmarish visions of a disaster at an amusement park where her husband works. And she's she's it looks like they're about she's about college age. Although her husband, when you see him, you're like, wait, this is really your husband? It's like, man, hairstyles, mustache. This guy is one of the most seventies looking people you've ever seen. Her husband Phil, and she's having like, I mean, throughout the movie, it's constantly cutting back to her having because she's having these nightmares, and she doesn't want him. He he apparently is a popcorn vendor at the at the amusement at Ocean View Park. When she's not, uh, when he's not like at a co uh, a college student, and she's they're married, she's pregnant. Um, she, and, and like, like I said, it's like they just keep cutting back to her. Like, and now in another scene, oh my god, there's a crack in the wall of our house. How does this apply to everything going on? Well, the answer is we don't know because they never mention it again. I don't know what the point of that was. And then she. She brings him potato chips one day while he's going off to class, and then the bell starts ringing at the college, and she starts having a screaming, nervous breakdown. <laughs> and, and she gets up bedridden, and the doctor's blaming it on pregnancy anxiety and giving <laughs> her some wonderful doctor advice like, don't be afraid of being afraid. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, I really wanted a moment where the husband just came in and was just like, it. You know what? I don't think this is going to work out. Maybe you know if you just well, want to. That almost happens because if you remember, as part of this, I think the only way you can really kind of explain this movie is to just discuss the various subplots individually before they all tie together again at the end. So yeah, so throughout the movie, uh, you have that. The, you one thing I think you'll agree with me on: there's no way this couple's not going to be divorced in five years. Oh yeah, five hell. Like yeah, I give them, I yeah, give them six be, months after the birth tops. Yeah, because I mean, first of all, he's an asshole. <laughs> I mean, he's so unlikable to the point where she's like, "Honey, maybe I should get an abortion. Do you want the baby? Maybe I should get an abortion." And he's trying to convince her that no, I'm happy about this. They're like, he does not seem happy about this. He does not seem happy that his wife is pregnant. He is not happy that his wife is having nightmares. He's not happy that his wife is telling him not to go to the park because she thinks she's having premonitions. She's not happy when he, she goes to the Psychic Institute, which apparently is within driving distance and just in the yellow pages 
apparently somewhere in Virginia, you could just open up the phone book and go, oh, look, there's the Psychic Institute. I can go get checked out for my, to see if I have ESP. Because there's a whole scene where she's basically taking the test from the opening of Ghostbusters. <laughs> and they tell her, yeah, you know what? I think you do have psychic powers. And then, and then her husband's mad at her now because she has psychic powers. <laughs> she's like, she, he's, he's scolding and bitching her out because, oh, great, now my wife has ESP. <laughs> I feel like I want to know if the child had anything to do with it, because honestly, if she had any latent psychic ability, why did she not see the train wreck that was that relationship coming at her? Well, uh, not only that, but why didn't she also see that her husband was going to be fine? Because the whole payoff for this subplot is there is no payoff. <laughs> Nothing she does makes any difference. And other than the fact that she shows up at the park the day of the, and potentially puts herself in danger, they're fine. They just run away. That's the payoff for the subplot. They just, as when all hell breaks loose, the vision she kept seeing of all the chaos and him screaming was basically just him screaming and then grabbing her and running off. And they're fine. It's like, that's it. That's the payoff. That's the thing. What kind of negligent, like, parent-to-be? Like, she's had all of these visions. She obviously kind of believes them, at least to a point. Why would you ever step foot on that? But it's, you know, it reminded me, in addition to, like, the premonitions of, like, uh, horrible, horrible things about to happen to a mass group of people, obviously we can draw a parallel to Final Destination. But, you know, when she actually goes to the park at the end, like... That's the equivalent of the kid from Final Destination staying on the plane just to see what would happen. Yes, but here's the worst part about it. And, and this is kind of getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but she goes to the park because she's had premonitions of this and she wants to prevent him from being killed. But she ends up being the one who turns into a blubbering mess and has to be rescued by him. <laughs> So it doesn't even pay off in her favor. Well, it was the 70s, Foy. Women weren't allowed much agency in these movies. Um... Yes, I was about to bring up the fact every single female character in this movie ends up a blubbering mess who must be rescued by a man, including the one female character who's portrayed as smart and strong. But we'll get ahead. we're getting ahead of ourselves. So now let's go to minor subplot number two. <laughs> and possibly the worst part of the whole movie, uh, the romance between uh, Billy the Virgin Sailor <laughs> and uh, the most name, maybe one of the, the second name, biggest name actor, well, the th maybe the third biggest name actor in the movie, Mayor Winningham, who would go Which, on to have quite a, quite a career. She'd have a pretty good career. I don't blew me away when I saw her. I was like, is that, is that who I think it is? Yeah, and she looks like she's about maybe 15. But, uh, yeah, she plays Jenny, the wallflower. In fact, her name is actually, I looked it up on IMDb, her character's name is Jenny Flowers. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, my God. Yeah, so, so, there's, so let's go back to Billy in a moment. Let's talk about Jenny. She works the cotton candy machine at the, she's the cotton candy spinner at the, uh, but the, she's got a problem because she's very young, very naive, very shy. And she always dresses like she just walked off the set of Little House on the Prairie. She even has, like, the, the pigtail. She looks like she came out of the 1800s. She looks, <laughs> if you told me her character was Amish, I would believe you. And then she has the cooler, hotter sister who thinks her little sister is weird. And mom is constantly pressuring cooler, hotter sister to get a, a weird younger sister a date, which just makes Jenny sad. 
<laughs> and did you notice something in the one in the scene, the only scene in the movie where you really see her with the, the family together? You see Mayor Winningham's character, Jenny. You see the cooler, hotter, blonder sister. And then you see the mom. None of these three people look even remotely like they could be related. They look like they, all three came from entirely different gene pools. You know what, now that you're actually spelling out these subplots, I totally see it. I did not see it watching the movie. You're 100% right. This damn movie is a twisted Love Boat episode. Yes, but, 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 but hold, now wait a minute now. Okay, so, and, and one of the big things that sets up here is that the sister does find a guy to ask her out on the, to, to, to go to the beach dance or whatever. Let's, the beach let's, dance. let's talk about how. Let's talk about the cotton candy meat cute. No, 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 no. We're not talking about Billy yet. We're not there yet. We're oh. talking about, remember the scene where the other guy comes up and like, and he's like, hey, I'm looking for Jenny. And then as soon as he sees her, he's like, oh, yeah. like, like, like she's, I mean, <laughs> she may be, she may be just looking kind of like a bit of a plain Jane, but it's not like it's the elephant man. And she, he's just mortified. And she realizes this and lets him off the hook. And then he just, she just starts crying when he walks away because now she's so hurt because no guy would ever want her. Well, we have found a guy who would want her. It's Billy. He's a sailor. He's in port. Uh, it, I, I get, he's on some shore leave. He suffers from the worst case of resting derp face you'll ever see. <laughs> As, now, you have seen the movie. So I'm going to ask you, can you explain something about this character that I've always wondered? Okay. Is he mentally challenged? Because oh, his boy. character is the, much like the way she's very demure, very, very naive. He's also supposed to be, he's clearly kind of like a, a naive young farm boy type. He's not worldly or anything like that. He's, you're almost wondering how did he end up in the Navy to begin with? Other sailors are making fun of him for this. But the way the actor plays the role, and I, I forget the actor's name, he actually has a, he's had a long career. So it's not like it's just some guy off the street. But the way he plays the character, it's like, is he autistic? Is, is, he, is he mentally handicapped? Or... I, I personally, I, I can see why you said that. I, I wrestle with it because when I was watching the movie, I'm like, no, clearly they're not going that route. And then there are other scenes, you know, by virtue of his performance where I was kind of like, wait, is there kind of something going on there? Like, and they never explain it. It's not, it's obviously not written into the script. So I would be very curious if, uh, if the actor himself would come down on a side and be like, yeah, I chose to play him, you know, a certain way. Uh, I have no idea. He's supposed to be playing the character as being very shy and very, like, 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 again, not very worldly. But I have a third theory about him. And I'll get to that in a moment. Because we have to talk about the fact that one of the things that they do, the other, they, they set him up with an older woman at a bar so that he can finally get it, you know, pop his cherry. And this does not go well. Because he is so socially awkward. And you'll know what I'm talking about because you watch the movie. It pretty, the scene where he, she takes him home to deflower him does not result in sex. It looks like he's trying to eat his own shoe at one point. <laughs> he's walking with his sneaker in his mouth, practically. And then he just, and even the woman's just like, I've never met anyone like you, and just lets him go. It's like, you're a nice kid, but you're just... And then he just wanders out onto the beach, 
and he literally just plops down on the sand and goes to sleep. And then the next morning, he wakes up. And he just goes into the park. And it's like, now I have a question about Ocean View Park. Are you, do you have to go in and pay attendance, to like go through a gate to get in? Or can you just walk in off the beach? Because he just seems to just wander in. And where does he wander to? He wanders to the cotton candy stand where he meets Jenny. And again, this is one of those moments that makes you question what's going on here. Because first thing he asks her is, what is she doing? As she has clearly got a cone in a cotton candy machine swirling it around. It's obvious what he's doing. What are you making? Cotton candy. So you so you, you could just say, okay, he's awkward, he's he's nervous, he, he said something kind of dumb. But then after discussing cotton how to make cotton candy for a few moments, she then hands him cotton candy. And he has no idea how to eat this. He's turning it sideways. He's trying to figure out the proper angle to use his head to eat this. Here is my third theory. Since we already have a supernatural subplot, <laughs> Billy an alien. <laughs> from outer space and just does not understand humanity or its emotions. Because that would explain many more scenes. <laughs> no, no, I get that. I, uh... Yeah, yeah, Billy, I don't, we don't know that kid's full story. Like, there's there's something going on there. Did he suffer traumatic brain trauma at some point in his life? Because he he does not act like a normal human being at any point in the movie. No, no, and and, yeah, and they don't even give him, like, do you feel like their story fully pays off at the end beyond, well, well again, just... Well, now, now let's get into this for a second. Yes, Jenny has now found the perfect man for her. So we have Jenny, the time traveler from the 1800 frontier, who has now fallen in love with the alien from who knows where, who's trying to understand how humans operate. And they have the perfect romance that, I mean, let me tell you something. The dates they go on, the stuff you watch them do as they fall in love, it will have you longing for the smoldering eroticism of a Kirk Cameron film. This is, <laughs> this is one of the most based romances you'll ever see. And the payoff for their story is they're on the Ferris wheel that that gets stuck when all hell breaks loose at the end of the movie. And she turns into a blubbering mess and he comforts her. And if I recall correctly, someone else rescues him, but then he just but then Billy just kind of picks her up King Kong style and runs off with her, if I'm remembering correctly. And that's pretty much the last you see of them. <laughs> it's it's once again another one of those where it's like, oh, okay. It's like there's no real payoff for that. Now, wait, Jenny, that was uh, okay. The Mayor Winningham character isn't she in part saved by uh, Martin Landau's Tom Flood? And again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. That's we're coming up to that part. I, I am actually scanning the movie right now to try to see if I can uh, establish. Uh, okay, they're climbing down the Ferris wheel. And he's helping her, and he just kind of runs off with her. Yeah. That, oh, I'm sorry. No, I, I got it backwards. Uh, Paul, uh, yeah, he's carrying his pregnant, unconscious wife, who for some reason has just passed out from the excitement. Okay, so. <laughs> All right. Now we move on to plot number three. <laughs> and this is actually the main story, because this is about 
Sam Jackson. Fuck motherfucker. Motherfucker. I'm a mushroom cloud laying motherfucker, motherfucker. <laughs> Not that Sam Jackson. <laughs> this Sam Jackson is played by uh, TV veteran Mike Connors. I mean, this guy's a very well-established uh, TV actor and a leading man in the past. Uh, I think, uh, his big show was Mannix, which was a, like, a t- uh, he, I mean, he was in the Ten Commandments, for crying out loud. But he was the star of the show Mannix, which was a huge hit on television, like in the 60s and very early 70s. It was a cop show. But here's the problem with his character. Before we get into, well, you know what, let's, 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 let's just deep dive. Uh, I, I, his name is Sam Jackson. I gave him the nickname Mr. Pompadour. <laughs> this man, I looked him up. I wanted to see what was his actual age when he made this movie, and he was 59 years old. He looks more like he's almost about 69 years old. And the fact that he has this ridiculous Pompadour Elvis kind of style hair, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a hairdo that's at least 20 years out of date for 1979, maybe 25. It's like a greaser haircut that you would see from someone in the, a teenager in the fifties. And it's dyed so jet black. It looks so clearly a dye job. And he's going to end up in a bit of a romance with a woman who was a friends with his teenage daughter. <laughs> <laughs> when they have that moment, when they have their first meet cute and, uh, you know, and it is like, she is really charming. Like how she sort of, uh, reintroduces herself to him i i will uh i'll leave that for uh listeners to discover when they watch the movie on their own but it's kind of funny it's kind of cute but then when she pulls the glasses off and she explains that she was the teenage girl who used to work there when he was around and then it's like oh okay is this going to be like a father-daughter kind of relationship like a surrogate thing and then they start like kind of sort of flirting for just okay, a moment, I was like, oh, we're not. Please tell me they're not going that route. Okay. I don't believe it. Now, you were just a kid. A kid running my Ferris wheel for blue jeans money. I am not a kid anymore. There's two things here. Did, did I misunderstand correctly? Did she just say she worked there or that she was friends with his teenage daughter? I Okay, so they say something like she hung around at the time. I got the feeling that she worked there, but maybe not. Maybe it was just the daughter. I, I don't know. I, I, for some reason, I thought they mentioned the teenage because. Here's the other thing that's confusing about Sam Jackson. This man looks like he's a grandfather, yet he has young children. He has he has a teenage daughter who seems to be about 14 or 15. And he also has uh, like uh, one or two other kids are like, what, 10, 11? I, I got I can't even I, I yeah, his spawner beyond me. But you know what I'm talking about? He's got like three. Yeah, he's got like one who's teenage and the other like elementary school age. He's just met up with this woman, and I looked her up. At the time she made this movie, she was about 33, 34, which is still a ridiculous age gap. And still doesn't, like, there's nothing at, there's nothing at all remotely plausible about these two developing a romance. It, it, there was no reason for them to have a romance. And it gets a million times creepier when the kids are saying, is she going to be our new mommy? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's it's it's a it's a little it's a it's a little creepy. It's now, a little. The main, the main reason I wanted to look up and see how old he was is because he keeps mentioning how Ocean View Park was built by his father, and that he worked there with his dad. But 
he also mentions that his dad built the part in 1906. <laughs> like, <laughs> how old are you? How old were you working there? So, now the, here's the big problem they got. The problem is, apparently, Paradise Valley, which is going to be some new subdivision, upscale homes, shopping malls, they're building it all in the vicinity of this amusement park. And the main investor in the amusement park is the great Martin Landau as Tom. Oscar winner Martin Landau. I mean, the guy who played Bella Lugosi and Ed Wood. I mean, just, I mean, I mean, Mission, the original Mission Impossible series. I mean, I mean, the guy's been in a million things and never has he dressed better. <laughs> His suits in this movie are, are those Sears sucker suits? Did he just, did he go to Sears and just say, I'm buying you out? He because- was ready to replace Darren McGavin and Kolchak. You, you, you slap a boater's hat on him, he is good to go. I don't know. Kolchak never dressed that flashy. This is, <laughs> he, this is one of the... You will rarely see an actor wearing, even in a 70s movie, that 70s looking. It, he is a 70s fashion plate, if ever there was one. And he, and he is... It's, it's, the movie starts on July 28th, and I know that, because Tom Martin Landau keeps, pressing, keeps pushing the point that everything has to go off with a hitch for the 4th of July because the Bee Gees are coming. And let me tell you something. The Bee Gees were a huge act in the 1970s. Their star did not start fading until like the early 80s. There's no way their, their stars had faded bad enough that they'd be playing a amusement park in Norfolk, Virginia on the 4th of July. <laughs> not even for made-for-TV Murray Hamilton? N- no, no, no. He is totally... I mean, come on. This is... Well, well, I mean, on I, some I, level, this yeah. is Jaws, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I was about to get to the point about how, like, yeah, everything has to go perfect because it's all tied into that somehow if the park if the park can stay afloat in time for this whole subdivision and businesses, to, like, it, it's going to be a boom for uh, for the amusement park. I'm also thinking to myself, who 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 is building a, a subdivision of houses and says to themselves, yes, the lot next to the amusement park, that's where people want to live. <laughs> there's some questions about that right away and and he is totally the mayor from he's the mayor from jaws no matter what goes wrong at the park he does not want to shut it down he doesn't want to accept there's any problems because everything has to go perfectly and the thing that struck me most is you know up until about a year ago, we used to laugh at how silly characters like that were, and now it's like, nope, it turns out they were all those movies were accurate, even more so. <laughs> how do you think that that's, okay, if we can make just one brief aside, how do you think that's, seriously, the last four years, and I, we don't have to get too heavy, but the last four years of the Trump administration and then all of 2020, all of COVID, right, how do you think that's going to affect genre storytelling from here on will there be too broad a character that you could write like will there be too cartoonishly evil a person that you can write before somebody could actually say look you're being a little too on the nose oh nobody would ever do you you can't do that anymore well i i I was gonna say it's like the, the last year of covid and the way so many especially politicians have reacted to it it's like suddenly the mayor from jaws seems like a completely plausible character 
So I mean, I, it, 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 the I death of Ocean View Parks, Tom Flood, as played by Martin Landau, is the kind of guy. Uh, I don't, I don't care what uh, Sam Jackson says at the end. He is the kind of guy who would uh, go ahead and open up all of Texas and remove the mask mandate before everybody is fucking vaccinated. I get that feeling. Yeah, I mean, the, the, but the interesting thing, the one interesting thing about it is that the movie never goes out of its way to truly make Tom a villain. He's just, he's just, he just, uh, he's just an unreasonable businessman. And then at the end of the film, they actually kind of try to redeem him as a hero. And he, well, w- w- let's not spoil Mr. Landau's. Uh... Oh, come on. Okay, yeah, he, he he gets to, yeah, the guy who was basically who wouldn't listen to reason and caused a lot of this to happen because he wouldn't shut down the park or do the proper inspections ends up being the guy who climbs the freaking Varus wheel, like Spider-Man to rescue people. And then after making, and then dies a noble death falling off the Varus wheel. Oh, oh, before he does that though, he hacksaw ridges somebody down that damn burning structure. Like he, he pulls a Desmond Doss. Help me get one more. Basically, this movie is. It basically this movie is. It, he's the mayor from Jaws. If in the third act, the mayor from Jaws also became Quint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Somehow, some and you know what's weird is, and maybe it's just by virtue of the fact that Martin Landau is such a damn good actor, it works. Yeah, makes that shit work. There's also an amazing moment. Where they keep telling him like there's something wrong with the Ferris wheel, the big Ferris, not the Ferris, I'm sorry, the, the roller coaster, the rocket, which apparently was a real roller coaster and hugely popular. And the main thing this movie is even remembered for, if you look it up online, it's people who remember going to the actual amusement park and loving that roller coaster and kind of being a little sad that they had to watch it get blown up in a TV movie. <laughs> <laughs> But there's a great moment where he he rides the roller coaster, and it's really Martin Landau all by himself riding this roller coaster with a camera panned on him. So he's, you can tell he's actually having a blast riding this roller coaster. But he also has to act, so he's constantly like looking from side to side, like he's going to somehow spot problems with the roller coaster while going <laughs> 30 miles an hour and being jerked around from side to side. I just got the feeling that he had never been in one before. Like he's looking around, like. Uh... Is this supposed to be happening? Is it supposed to be going this fast? You know, there's there's also that because the way he's doing his, I think it's because the way he's playing the vigilant, like I'm keeping an eye out for things. He plays it like it's a dog. It's like I I actually made an animated GIF of just him riding the roller coaster, just his face. Squirrel, 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 squirrel. Yeah, yeah, that's literally. and then all of a sudden, it'll hit a drop, and and you just see his teeth just start gnashing like they're about to fly out of his head. <laughs> okay, so now there's before we get to the uh, the real problem with Ocean View Park, there's another problem. There's a hurricane coming, and apparently, it's one of those magic hurricanes that comes out of nowhere, and no one has any time to prepare for it <laughs> because they're just like, oh, there's a hurricane. It's going to be here tomorrow, like. It just appeared out of nowhere today. I like your theory about Billy earlier, and I'm just going to chalk it up to fucking aliens. Yeah, maybe, because this hurricane apparently passes through and does no damage. <laughs> What's the limit? They couldn't even really afford to do any hurricane footage. 
So that's out of the way. And now we move on to like, you know what? The hurricane came and went, but now there's just weird things happening. Is it supernatural? Is it damage from the hurricane? Is it some sort of bizarre electromagnetic disturbance in the force caused by the hurricane? The, uh, the, the character there, the... Okay, it's time can to I, introduce... Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Why is it you can open the movie with psychic premonitions... But when it comes to the main threat in the movie, you gotta play coy about whether or not there's something supernatural afoot. What what does that earn them? Well, it earns them nothing because if we jump ahead to the end of the movie, there's never an explanation. The movie just ends. I mean, literally. Well, there, 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 there isn't. Not only is there not an explanation, there is sort of a moment where a character is basically like, "Yeah, it could have been all of these things." But surely it's not. It's just something that happened. No, it, it, it's Sam Jackson. Just who? Who? We also forgot to remember. He walks around with a carnival barker cane at all times. You motherfucker! And you can tell uh, the the actor is just trying to figure out ways to act with this cane. So he's always. It's like oh, I'm going to twirl it up to my shoulder. I'm going to tap it in my hand while I'm talking. I'm walking on the beach. Whom? That's unusual. Let me stick my think my stick in the ground and pretend I'm measuring something. He acts with he acts the hell out of that carnival barker cane. And then at the end of the movie, after all the death and destruction has happened, he just basically just goes, "Well, it's over." And it's like, how do you know it's over? <laughs> you don't even know what it was. <laughs> So, well, there's yeah. no park left. So, uh, you know, they're there's, just... There's, there's some park left. It's just, you know, the roller coaster uh, uh, collapses in an explosion of fire and brimstone. And there's, like, one or two other rides that kind of just topple over. You can tell, like, you can tell the uh, the people owning the amusement park, like, yeah, how about that one over there? We ain't using that no more. Just dump it. <laughs> <laughs> now, what becomes of the housing development after the events of this movie, do you think? I, I'm sure it's. Yeah, I, here's my theory about the. Before, before since we're jumping ahead here, uh, my guess is Tom's dead. Sell the park, bulldoze it. It's now condos, which I think is actually or shopping mall because I think that's actually what happened to the real amusement park. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Is this where the housing development from uh, fucking Poltergeist? Is that where it was located? It was located <laughs> on the Indian burial ground slash Ocean View Park remains. Well, who knows? Maybe Ocean View Park was built on an Indian burial ground. That would make it. Uh, that would explain something. So, <laughs> okay, we have we have Paula, who's the naval weather officer, also on shore duty or on leave or something, and she used to work at the park. And for some reason, she has a crush on Grandpa. There's there's no real explanation for why, but she seems to. It, it's almost like she used to have a crush on him then. She she tells him about how she used to work at the park for blue jean money, and now she wants to get in his jeans, and he seems to be okay with that because he's actually a horny old pervert whose children need a new mommy. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe that guy was pushing, like, how old was he again? In real life, he was 59, but in the movie, he seems like he's, like, in his 60s. My God. And, of course, then again, Martin Landau is one of those guys who's always looked 60. Even when he was, like, 30, he looked 60. So, so who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe Manic suffered from the same affliction. I was so, wondering anyway. that. When I was watching this and I saw him, I was like, wait, how many years removed from Ed Wood is this? Like, 
And as it turns out, like 15, which just boggles the mind. Karloff, sidekick, fuck you! Okay, so now we're so they're they're having a little bit of a, a weird. It's it's it much like the uh, the extremely chaste romance between the alien and the time traveler. Uh, these two also have like a very. It's like there's hints of romance, but it almost always stays platonic, which I can only hope stayed that way because they had enough common sense to realize this is a very bad idea. Does so, uh th- does does eye fuckery count? Because there's a whole hell of a lot of that boy. Yeah, they do. Well, that's well. I mean, it's it, it, yeah. There's only so much you could get away with on a TV movie. So, I mean, hell, I'm surprised they even allowed that one character to be pregnant. But they needed some reason to. They needed some reason for everyone to tell her she's crazy. <laughs> you're just having. You're not psychic. You're just having weird reactions to being pregnant, like most pregnant women do. <laughs> you hear about it all the time. Oh, you're pregnant. Oh, well, that explains why you keep seeing it. That, that, that explains. Nostradamus. He was in his fourth trimester, right? Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so so uh, she's and then she, they have to. So after the hurricane, weird things keep happening. Ominous signs of impending doom, like when the roller, the other uh, bumper cars just turn on by themselves and bump into themselves with nobody there and unmanned in the dead of night, and who cares? Or, or that one scene on the beach of the ominous shot of a sandcastle just mysteriously sinking into the sand. What mm-hmm. the hell was up with that? That was a sign that something bad was going to happen. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> There's mysterious power failures. Like the part just starts having energy power things that just hit out of nowhere. You know, and I will then, say, uh, to the movie's credit, if I can give it one sort of uh, prop here, man. I, I know we're poking fun at it, but tell me if I'm wrong about this. Even for as silly as some of that stuff is, there are moments that are genuinely kind of like a little eerie. Like there, it is kind of creepy at times. Like some of the stuff, like, like the carts moving independently. Like, uh, yeah, half of my brain is just kind of like the hell is going on here. This is silly. But on the other hand, like there's something a little uneasy about it. The cart scene would be a lot creepier if you were dealing with a movie where there actually was a supernatural presence, not just, a hurricane is causing unexplained power surges. <laughs> like the scene where the, some kids sneak into the park at night and they operate, they get on one of the rides and then the, one of these weird power surges happens and it just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning and they can't stop it. And you're thinking like, oh, it's like, that now in a Final Destination movie, eventually they would have just like I don't know their limbs would have ripped off and they'd have gone flying into pieces. But in this movie, no, the power surge just eases off and then they get off and go. That was crazy weird. I'm scared. Let's get out of here. Now, come on. There is one shot in this movie. There are actually two moments that remind me of two completely different movies. Forgetting the psychic character like uh seeing this premonition of like mass death in a public setting which uh you know i think final destination 3 did actually do the roller coaster of death thing anyway but there is a moment when you see the gas line slip and it's like i don't care if there was a hurricane that did damage or not the way that moment is shot it's totally a final destination moment it's totally like a coffee cup cracking with cold vodka in it or something like that. Like you don't see death. You don't see a supernatural presence, but there's some Rube Goldberg esque shit happening right there. 
No, you're wrong. You're completely wrong. I was actually going to get to that because that is the one thing the movie never actually adequately explains. Or I shouldn't say explains, like it, it, it tries to ignore. Here's the thing. Who cares about the hurricane or the, the, or the supernatural powers or the, sub, the mysterious electromagnetic subcurrents or whatever bullshit you're coming up to explain this thing? Who in their right mind puts the fucking gas main on the goddamn roller coaster? I mean, this place was already a death trap. I mean, not only when that finally happens and the and the and the the thing gets set off. I mean, if you look at it, when the when the when when the carts crash off the side, go derail, they go straight into the gas line area. Who put that there? That's, you, you put the gas line on absolutely the worst. It, it, it's like it's like the movie Sorcerer. Where they're trying to move the trucks filled with nitroglycerin. It's like, no, no, no. Let's put the most explosive element in the park, the thing that could cause mass destruction, and put it next to the to the one ride. Make it it's built into the ride. That's the thing you understand. It's not just like sitting next to it. It's in the the railing, the grating that builds the roller coaster. This thing was going to eventually at one point cause a gas leak. Something was going to go loose. This this thing was a death trap. And the movie just and when it actually happens, the movie just kind of like, oh well, man, that's unfortunate. It's like whatever was... could have caused this horrible catastrophe. Yes, because that's really the thing that happens when when the main chaos at the end happens. It it happens because this gas line comes loose and causes the first explosion that sets off a chain reaction throughout the park. Now you mentioned the car flying off of the roller coaster. Foy, can I take this one? Can I can I just mention what this reminds me of? Watching it? Okay, to explain to uh, listeners out there, there's a moment in this movie where what would you say? The cart is kind of damaged to the point where obviously if a car, uh, you know, one of the train cars goes over, it's going to fly off the fucking roller coaster, right? Now, there is a guy who manages to stop the car and scream at the people so that they all hop off before that happens. But there is a second car flying right behind. So mm-hmm. he, for whatever reason, why doesn't he leave the first one braked? You know, I can only imagine because the second one would have slammed into it, but I would think that that would almost be a good thing. But in any case, the way it works out, the first car goes off of the broken railing. It goes hurtling through the air with the second car well behind it watching this. Every one of the members on it sort of uh, just reacting in horror. And I'm thinking... I don't know if it would have been the writer. I think it was William Beebe. I don't know if it would have been William Malone, the director. But the Dark Castle, House on Haunted Hill remake, there is a moment in the first act of that movie that is essentially that moment just redone and admittedly done better. But come, they had to have seen this film, right? You're, you're thinking about the House on Haunted Hill. I'm thinking more about how and during when all that is happening, Paula... The one female character in this whole movie who has been trained as smart and strong, she's she's military, and yet when she's trapped at the top of the roller coaster, she just basically gets out of the car and collapses next to the railing at the highest peak, a blubbering mess, frozen with fear, who needs an old elderly man to climb the thing like Spider-Man to come save her. Now listen to me. You gotta slide down slowly so I can grab you. I can't. Yes, you can. I can't do it. You 
doing? While she's literally like crying her eyes out, needing a man to rescue her. Meanwhile, uh, you got Martin Landau, who's also now making like Spider-Man and climbing up the uh, these rides. <laughs> Why are they all climbing up the railing like like some sort of spy? What exactly stopped you from just uh, you know what? Let me just get on this ride, the roller coaster, and just run up the ramp. Why am I? Why are elderly men now suddenly have all this power and dexterity to climb 50 feet into the air? <laughs> I will say, yeah, the, char- the it is kind of insulting when uh, she does turn into a blubbering mess. And plus, you know, when you see the setup, too, there is what? There are two pieces of track between them that are, you know, there's sort of a broken piece of track between them, rather, that's sort of at a... Uh, 45 degree angle and all she needs to do is kind of just like step across grab hold of him he can pull her up and she's good but they turn it into this five minute set piece yeah where she is just sobbing and blubbering and she can't move and at a certain point i was like you know what chief just maybe you know maybe let this one go you know she y'all had a good run i'm, I'm actually looking at it right now and it's like it's ridiculous because parts of the roller coaster are still exploding and you see Mr. Pompadour Sam Jackson climbing up while you also see other people climbing down next to him. It's like it's turned into a jungle gym is what it's turned into. <laughs> it's like the people at the mall who climb uh, the, the, uh, not the, mall, the, people, the people who climb those like rock walls <laughs> for like exercise. And now, oh, oh, I forgot about this. Yes. Here's Martin Landau, and he sees that there's people still stuck at the top of the Ferris wheel. And I'm not sure why he even has to climb up there, because there's no threat to the Ferris wheel falling down. (laughs) It's perfectly fine. But he runs up to it, and he just, apparently there's a giant, giant, there's just all this rope, a giant thing of rope that he just throws around his neck, and now he's climbing up to save uh, Jenny and, and Billy. And okay, and and now I'm watching. Okay, uh, Paula. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, not Paula. Uh, um, uh, Phil is yelling at his wife, who's screaming in the crowd. Yes, the payoff for the subplot of the psychic woman is that when the chaos happens, she nearly gets killed in a crush of people running away, and her husband, who was the one who was supposed to be in danger, comes running up in the crowd, scoops her up in his arms, and carries her unconscious to the beach. (laughs) That's the payoff for the subplot. And now I'm watching Love Boat. Yes, and now I'm watching and fast forward the incredibly long. Uh, the incredibly long sequence of him reaching out his arm to pull her across the track. Now I'm watching the cart fall. I'm also noticing the only black actor in the entire movie just watch everything from the ground because <laughs> he knows not to get involved in this idiocy. He's the smartest character in the movie. Yes. And, and now, oh yes, there's, uh, there's Spider Landau. He's now fashioning a rope to make a pulley, and or to, to, to give it. You know, he's dropping the rope so that they. He's holding the ropes so that Billy and and uh, Jenny can climb down. But then uh, during an explosion, the the Ferris wheel apparently lightly rocked for one second, and that's all it took for him to lose his balance and take the nasty death plunge. Oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> He, he's, he's going. He's and he's dead. 
and, and then meanwhile, the other thing, the other thing I'm also noticing now, as uh, as 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 uh, Sam and and Paula are climbing down, he's he's practically got her in a Heimlich maneuver position, yanking her down these grates. She's got to have broken ribs from this whole mess. And there goes the there goes the entire the big moment that we all came to see. Uh, the uh, the entire uh, the actual roller coaster is collapsing now in a heap of yep it's gone and and then and then the firemen are, are they've already got uh, they already got Martin Landau's body on a stretcher with a sheet over it and they just walk by Sam Jackson like nope your friend's dead and he's like what and then he just quickly moves on he's looking at the park wait what, what was that what the hell was that um, okay. Wait, wait, wait. He's looking at the park, and suddenly a shirtless man in stun glasses just comes running past them, flaming debris. I think that guy just jogged through the shot and didn't know they were making a movie. That, <laughs> that did not look like a man who was part of the movie. And now he's walking down the fairway, and everything is on fire that they could afford to set on fire. And now he's uh, Phil's got his wife on the beach. And, uh, oh, the, did they kiss? Yes. Uh, Phil and Jenny, wait, I think they're kissing. No, no, I'm sorry. They're not kissing. They started to kiss, but instead, Mayor Winningham's character is now ordered to uh, just burst into tears and collapse in his arms, sobbing. And because he's an extraterrestrial, he comforts her by hugging her and putting his sailor cap on her. Because that, that's how you deal with it. Yeah. And and now the big moment where everything's in embers, it's all left over, and 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 they have you realize something. All of this could have been avoided. If they just listened to Sam Jackson after he measured the sand with his stick and said, I just got a bad hunch. <laughs> Literally, that's how the movie opens. He's he's telling Tom, like, hey, something's up. You might want to pay attention he... to this. And then Tom's <laughs> all like, ah, people are waiting. People want to yeah. ride their rides. Go on. And you know what? Again, you talk about people being cartoonishly evil. And could we actually buy something like this happening? Let me tell you, man. This little place in southern Ohio, it was a stone's throw away from Huntington, West Virginia, where there was a park called Camden Park. And I, I went to this place a couple of times as a kid before my parents realized that the place was an utter death trap. And I swear, it's essentially Ocean View Park. That's exactly what this place was, right? Uh, and all the rides were poorly maintained. It's, uh, yeah, and whoever ran it clearly didn't give a fuck. Like, they were just like, yeah, we'll just... We'll run the rides until they fall apart. People know people. Doesn't matter. Yes. Oh, and and yes, they're they're having a little chit chat, and 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 then they just, they kind of just uh, he just they just kind of walk off together with their arms around each other and the threat of a relationship that's doomed to fail. But she offers up the explanation that ties it all together. What caused all this to happen? Was it a was it a supernatural act? Was it a hurricane causing unexpected damage was it uh the the whole bit about mysterious electromagnetic stuff and subcurrents was it because some idiot designed the park by putting the gas main in the roller coaster <laughs> no she sums it up the only explanation they give for what caused the death of ocean view park was paula saying it was a million to one act of god it was nature sam it was an act of god Hurricane, the freak current, all those things converging at one time. It was a million to one shot. <laughs> you know what? That should have been the title of the movie. A million to one act of God. Now, I'm actually looking right now at the actual TV guide to 
ad for this movie, the ABC World Television premiere, 8 p.m. Friday night in 1979. And here's what it says. A freak hurricane, a sudden rising tide. Thrill rides start by themselves and can't be stopped. A chain of mysterious events shatters a happy holiday celebration, and terror takes over a vast amusement park. The death of Ocean View Park. And then it has all of our main characters listed by the actor's name, because a lot of these people were like TV actors. I mean, they were they were all to some degree known for something, I guess. And it gives a little explanation of their character. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to bother with the uh, Mike Connors. The park is his whole life until love changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> Martin Landau, he risked countless lives just to keep the park open. Accurate. Diana Canova, she has a terrifying dream and it becomes real. James Stephen. Something draws him to the park that day against his will. Wait, that's her husband, Phil. Nothing drew him against the park that way. He worked the damn popcorn machine, and it was the 4th of July weekend. He had to be there. And let me just tell you something. I worked at a movie theater for a long time. That guy was one hell of a negligent popcorn slinger, man. Just one angry customer walks up, and he fills an empty cardboard box with popcorn and slides it across there. What the hell was that? He's... <laughs> Well, I like the scene where it turned out he was the only person in the park who knew how to fix the popcorn machine when it malfunctioned briefly. <laughs> Caroline McWilliams, she predicts the strange weather. Why won't anyone believe her? What? <laughs> that's not what she did. That's, this was just, yeah, that's, the, that's entirely the, only, the wrong character. Yeah, yeah, the only person who wouldn't believe anything was Martin Landau, and it was only because of what Sam Jackson was telling him. And then finally, the last two, Mayor Winningham, Perry Lang. Fate brings them together for an afternoon of innocent love that ends in a nightmare. <laughs> I want a remake of this movie with Sam Jackson playing Sam Jackson. movie would be two minutes long. When Sam Jackson tells you the park needs to be shut down, you shut the fucking park down. That's right! You can't kill me, motherfuckers! That's because it would, the remake would not be called The Death of Ocean View Park. It would just be called Get Out of the Fucking Park. <laughs> that would be the title. Get the fuck out. <laughs> not Get Out. Get the fuck out. <laughs> that would be the title of the movie. Now, does that TV guide, does that mention anything about the director and his amazing name? Yes. E.W. Swackhammer. Say it one more time because it's amazing. E.W. Swackhammer. Now, I actually did a little looking him up, and I didn't realize this guy's got quite a... He's got some other stuff that might be worthy of future editions of this ep of this show. Because some of the other things he's... Most of them I have not seen. But he, uh, he, he directed a TV pilot in 1985, a TV movie pilot called Command 5, which was apparently an A-team ripoff starring Wings Hauser about a team of special military forces that have to save a small town which has been taken hostage by an, an, a, a, an organization called the Brotherhood. Okay, I'm in for that. He also directed a 1979 TV movie simply called uh, what is it? Vampire. An architect builds a new church in San Francisco that ultimately displeases the local vampire community. <laughs> Please let that be the next episode. 
So its leader, Anton Wojtek, kills the man's girlfriend to show his displeasure. The architect then teams with a local cop to get even. <laughs> I must find this. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Am I looking at this right? Stephen Bochco was a writer on this film. Jason Miller, Richard Lynch, and E.G. Marshall star. What the hell is this movie? What, Vampire? Yeah. Well, now I definitely have to go hunt for it. This but wait, hell, he's not, hell of a writer, hell of a cast, hell of a last name for a director. Like, that's... I'm, I'm putting this on the watch list. Well, wait a minute. How about Death at Love House? 1976, directed by E.W. Swackhammer. Donna and Joel Gregory are staying at the estate of Lorna Love while researching a book about the long-dead Hollywood goddess. Joel, whose father had a passionate affair with Lorna, becomes obsessed with her. His wife attempts to break the spell which threatens their marriage and their very lives. So wait, is it a psycho thing or is it a supernatural thing? I'm already confused. I Death at Love House. That sounds like... Okay, so obviously they took advantage of the fact that there was some sort of cat house that was about to be demolished. And they said, hey, can we shoot here and burn it down? Well, wait a minute. How about this one? A TV, a failed television pilot from 1984 he directed called The Sheriff and the Astronaut. A small, <laughs> a small town sheriff and an astronaut strike up a romance as they attempt to solve crimes in this unsold pilot CBS Thursday night movie. Oh, my God. Okay. Boy. Starring. Starring. Okay, you, you say it. Go ahead. Yes. Starring a, a very young, not quite fan, and not playing the astronaut, mind you. The woman is the astronaut. The sheriff is Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Billy Drago is in this. Uh, Scott Paulin. This is this is this guy worked with some interesting cats. This is well, cool. He also, he also directed the god awful 1977 TV movie pilot for the Amazing Spider Man TV show. Oh, I, uh, I grew up with that. I, I, yeah. I remember renting that VHS out. And I, I will say this. That is one of those things that I'm just content to leave in my childhood because I absolutely loved watching it when I was about five years old. And I know that if I rewatched it, it would be absolutely terrible. Yes. Now, here's one I actually have a vague memory of seeing sometime. I don't know when. I saw it, but I remember this because it, it, it's a TV movie from the 80s. I did not see it then. I saw, clearly saw it later called Terror at London Bridge from 1985. London Bridge, London, England, 1988. Jack the Ripper dies in the Thames River. London Bridge, Lake Havasaw, Arizona, 1985. The original stone used to rebuild London Bridge is lit. In case you don't remember, apparently sometime in the 80s, the actual London Bridge got bought by somebody in Arizona and flown to Arizona. It's a, one, it's a weird story. So somebody decided to make a horror movie about it. The last original stone used to rebuild London Bridge is laid, and all the city is happy. But then some strange murders start happening. Policeman Don, Don Gregory has some suspects, but when he develops a theory that Jack the Ripper has been resurrected, no one believes him. Yes, that's right. It's the TV movie about London Bridge in the middle of Arizona, and Jack the Ripper has returned from the dead, and only David Hasselhoff can stop him. Hey, uh, hey, boy. Yeah. At uh, at any point in the movie, does uh, 
does the London Bridge uh, fall down? Fall down. No, they can't afford that. What are you talking about? It's a TV movie. Damn it. Yeah. But I, if I remember correctly, the final fight takes place on the, t- on the, the bridge. I don't hey, really it stars David Hasselhoff and Stephanie Kramer. Yes. And Adrian Barbeau. And Clue Gulliger. Yes. Give this to Swacky. He, he got decent casts for his uh, made-for-TV movies, man. And then, he, and then he made one other movie that I have seen uh, from 1981. And I think it's only from 1981 because I, I, I'm not positive, but I think it may have sat on a shelf for two or three years. And I don't know why. It's called Long Shot. And it is. And the reason I sought it out is because of, it is, in fact, as far as I can tell, the only motion picture in existence about the sport of foosball. Foosball? You playing the foosball behind my back? Leif Garrett is a young foosball player who wants to earn the big dollars that will be used to play soccer in Europe by winning the Foosball World Championships. Is there such a thing, boy, as Foosball World Championships? Well, I have seen the movie, so apparently, yes. And here's what I can tell you about the movie. I was, I was really going into this thing like, oh my god, is this going to be like the Rocky of foosball movies? <laughs> it, also, it would also technically just be the foosball of foosball movies, because I think it's the only one. Because the mere fact that it existed made me wonder, like, we all kind of know what a foosball table is. Like, the one where, like, the little, like, like it's, like it's like soccer, but it's like players on sticks that you pull back and forth and turn. You don't really see it that much anymore, but was, like, was it ever a big enough thing that somebody thought to themselves, yes, this fad is worthy of its own motion picture? Because, I mean, like, if, if you're going to have that, where, where's the skee-ball movie? Where's the, uh, the, the movie about uh, uh, table hockey? <laughs> I mean, hey, I we did get a ping pong movie back in 2007. So, yes, but it was a comedy. And it was fantastic. Yes. Long Shot is not a comedy. Long Shot is actually a road trip of coming you're, of age. You're shitting me. They play it straight? Oh, yes. Completely straight. That's probably why the movie is a complete failure. Oh, my God. It, most of it's kind of dull because it's mostly just about this kid, like I said, coming of age deal. And then all of a sudden at the ending, you get to the foosball championship, which is played exactly like a sports drama, right down to having slow motion foosball action for the big game winning shot. I've got to see this. Uh, I actually, if you, if you find my YouTube channel, I have the opening credits, which is a, a 70s pop song played over, like, shots of foosball. And I also have the final dramatic game-winning moment. I put that clip on YouTube for all posterity's sake. Because there's a movie directed by a man named E.W. Swackhammer, and it's about foosball. <laughs> I want a biopic, if for no other reason than because there, you know, there deserves to be a movie called Swackhammer. Well, if I remember correctly, wasn't the bad guy in Space Jam named Swackhammer? The evil oh, God, I have, I have no idea. Uh, I wonder if I there believe- was any sort of connection there, because E.W. Swackhammer actually passed away in 94. Isn't that around the time that Space Jam would have gone into production? Maybe, uh, maybe it was a fun nod. Hold on, I'm looking up Space Jam 1996. Uh... 
I'm going to believe that. I don't care if it's true or not. I'm looking up again. Who is there a character? Michael Jordan, Wayne Knight, Teresa Miranda, blah, blah, blah. Do we have a swack hammer voice guy? Because I think he was animated. Because I swear to God, I, I, no, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm not seeing a space a swack hammer listed. Of course, it's just showing me. Because I, yeah, there, yes, Danny DeVito as the voice of swack hammer. So who knows? It could maybe only the, you could only hire Danny DeVito to voice a character named Swack Hammer. I mean, you, you gotta. It, I mean, it's such a great name. It sounds like a cartoon name. Okay, you know what? I just punched it into IMDb. We have director E.W. Swackhammer. We have working in the sound department Elizabeth Swackhammer. We have a Tyson Swackhammer, a Brittany Swackhammer, a James Swackhammer with two M's. We have Andrew Swackhammer, who is an actor, and we have a Tyler Swackhammer. So there's maybe, I, I want to believe this is all one big Swackhammer family. Why is there no Jack Swackhammer? Yeah, no, yeah, it's right there. Jack Swack. That's hey, uh there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Jack no. Swack. You know what though? I I we make fun, but here's the thing. When it comes to the Death of Ocean View Park, yeah, it treads water. Yeah, it's more than a little silly, but the movie does have a charm, and the final act, the final 15 minutes especially, are just an utter blast. So even if it sounds to listeners out there like maybe we were a little ruthless in our ribbing, uh Boy, I gotta tell you, I, I, I would I would recommend to people, you know what, if you have some beer and pizza on hand, maybe kick back at YouTube, check it out. The reason I chose this movie isn't is because it's just it's odd. It's such an odd movie because you have these three different genres going together and they don't ever really fit. And then they don't even really pay off. It's just it's just such an odd movie because it never decides what it wants to be and then in the end it's just like well look we were only here to watch a roller coaster explode you got what you came for who cares <laughs> it's like that's it <laughs> now, and we did you know what it, it, got, it paid off little, what it needed to you got a little romance you got a little horror you got to watch uh, some fireballs you got to watch martin landau in a seersucker suit fall to his death you got to watch an old man trying to score with a young woman so that his children will have a new mommy. You got to watch. Boy, you he didn't to... try. That man succeeded. Yeah. He, well, we, we don't know for sure, but we, we got to watch uh, two people who don't understand how to be human fall in love. We, we watched <laughs> a, I mean, just the cotton candy scene where he, she hands him the cotton candy and he can't figure out how to eat it. And she has to explain to him in like step-by-step -step detail, how do you eat cotton candy is one of the strangest things I've ever seen in a movie. There's about, it's a 90 minute made for TV movie and they devote at least five minutes to fucking cotton candy. And you know yeah. what? I'm going to go ahead and say it. They both got it wrong. Like she's teaching them how to eat cotton candy. And I'm like, honey, that's, that's, that's not how you do it either. You pinch the cotton candy off and you roll it into a ball and then you pop it into your mouth. That's the only way to eat cotton candy. I mean, and, and let's not forget, there's a scene in the movie as well where the, uh, the, the pregnant psychic woman goes to this institute where they just leave her in this giant open room. It looks like the room that Michael Myers should be staring out of the window of all by himself as a kid from, a, from Halloween. He's just sitting in this room with these boxes with lights and shapes on them, trying to predict which shapes are going to come up next. 
and it's just like and it's a fairly lengthy sequence and it's just like why (laughs) (laughs) so overall though here's the thing you chose the movie this is the uh this is the uh this is the flagship this is the sort of like this is what's going to launch the podcast and this is the movie you chose so ultimately where do you land would you uh would you give it a thumbs up or thumbs down are you going to recommend it to our listeners or no I, I would say it's worth watching just for the just for the oddness of it. It's just it's just an oddity. It's just it's kind of at times it's it's too mundane. It's it's not like an all out camp movie. It's just weird. It's just such a weird movie that you go from like just I mean it, it, you just ricochet from unexplained disaster movie that doesn't really have a lot of disaster until the very end. With this supernatural storyline that's mostly just a woman being berated by her doctors and her husband for, for, for being psychic that has no payoff. And then you have all the, the, the romance that's just, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. The romance between the two young kids, the teenagers that don't understand how to be human. And then the old man creeping on the young, uh, on, on the woman who used, to, who used to be a teenager working for him. It's just, it's just wrong. Everything about this movie. It's like, <laughs> it's just, it's just an odd movie. So yeah, I, I would, I would say it's, it's worth watching. You're not, it's not going to blow you away. It's not going to be a great time watching, but it's like, it's, it's efficiently bizarre. Okay, so we need we need to figure out right now, real quick. You got five seconds. We need to figure out a rating for you. Like we we need like a zero to four it, it, or zero it, to five wabi sabi. No, no I, I don't want to do that. Here, here's why. I used to when I was reviewing for Dread Central, that was my least favorite thing because <laughs> I'd be reviewing a movie and I would be explaining to people like this movie isn't good, but it's watchable because it's got so many bizarre moments in it. Or in some cases, it's like, this movie is freaking terrible, but it does have a few moments that are worth laughing about. And I would always hate when I'd get to the end and I'd have to give it a score, because it's like, it's like I realize you just read a review that makes this film sound quite entertaining, but my honest rating is it's like one and a half stars. So I don't want to do that. See, I think that's why there should be a rating because that is your superpower. Or no, I don't no, know. No. That is that is the curse of you, Foy, is that you can make no. the worst movie sound appealing. That's why I think there needs to be a rating at the end, just to sort of level the playing field for people. You know why? Because if you just spent almost an hour and a half listening to this <laughs> and you're saying to yourself, I you know what? I should see the death of Ocean View Park, that's the rating. <laughs> <laughs> Or if you're saying to yourself, I just spent all I just spent the time I could have been watching the death of Oceanview Park, listening to this rambling lunatic discuss this movie. You know what? I don't need to see it. I've now lived it through his eyes. You know that's what? The- yeah, that's the thing for you and I when we were talking about this. It's like, you know what? Let's just make it a quick show. We'll be we'll get in and out 45 minute show. Just boom, quick, done. We're at an hour and 23 minutes. We've damn near talked about... This could have been a running commentary. Oh, God, no. No, we didn't. <laughs> you don't need to do a... I don't, I don't want to do a running commentary for the scenes where, where, uh, where, where Sam Jackson is sitting on the steps with his teenage daughter discussing how sad you've been for like the last year or two since Mommy died. Hey, by the way, who's the new brunette? Ooh, Daddy's got a girlfriend. Wait a minute, does this mean we're going to have a new mommy? <laughs> like, no, no. 
All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up here. So we we both recommend the Death of Ocean View Park. We are bringing this inaugural episode to a close now. Can I ask, Foy, what are people going to be able to keep an eye out for from us in the future? Uh, can you give any hints or preludes as to uh, what some upcoming movies might be? Or are you going to keep them close to the chest and just kind of spring them on people as the episodes pop up? Well, I think you already know what the next movie is going to be. So I, I, I do. Do we want the audience to know? You know what? I'm going to give you a sneak preview. To come back next month, and we're going to tell you about what must be the only movie in existence that could be described as A Nightmare on Elm Street meets Missing in Action. <laughs> I've not seen this movie yet, but I've seen the clips that you have sent me, and i got to tell you, I'm excited. Yes. Yeah, th- if, if, if we somehow manage to talk for 80 minutes about the death of, death of Ocean View Park, we might be here doing a, a six-hour all-nighter trying to unpack that one. I was going to say, we're going to break it up into multiple episodes. People are going to have to subscribe to a Patreon that doesn't even exist right now to get half of it. We'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. But, uh, boy, okay, let's go ahead and wrap up. Please, tell folks out there where they can find you online. And not just your Twitter handle. Go ahead and tell them about your YouTube page and why they should seek it out. Um, well, uh, because if, if you go to my YouTube page, you will find lots of weird clips from uh, television and movies and such. And I don't make a penny off of it because it's all stolen IP. I mean, uh, you'll see all sorts of weird ex- <laughs> older, films, older films, newer. Fi- well, not really much newer films. Yeah, that, that's basically what I just do on my YouTube channel. It's like it's like I'm not putting it up there. I'm just putting it up there like people just see this for yourself. You'll, you can. If you go to my YouTube channel right now, see, hold on a second, I'm bringing it up. Let's see what some recent uploads I've done. I haven't been uploading as much as I should have in the past. Uh, here's a clip from a, uh, a Hong Kong uh, movie called King Kong versus the Phantom, the Snake Phantom, which uh, does not have King Kong or a giant phantom snake, but it does have a giant Buddha fighting a, a giant wizard. Uh, you'll see a clip from uh, another Hong Kong movie called The Incredible Kids, where a grown adult throws a child through a window and then slams him through a table. Um, you'll, you'll see uh, uh, a, a montage I made of scenes from a, very, a, a movie that could potentially be a future episode, Revenge of the Red Baron, featuring Tobey Maguire in his first starring film role. What the hell? Oh, here's, a, here's one that we should probably do in the future, Defula. No. No? Okay, maybe. We'll see. How, it Just hearing the title makes me think immediately that it's oh. potentially offensive. Uh, no, it's a 1975 art film that's basically a retelling. Of, well, I shouldn't say a retelling because it does not follow the story at all. But it's basically the, one of the old, I think it's the first movie ever done entirely in sign language. And it's this weird art movie. I have like a little one-minute clip from it. Uh, yep. Okay. Uh, oh, one of my favorite clips on here is uh, a scene from a, 19, a 2002 TV movie called Atomic Twister, where a security guard gets killed by a tornado that somehow sneaks up on him silently, <laughs> as they were known to do. Even more bizarre when you realize that the, uh, the 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 security guard who was trying to outrun the tornado that kills him is played by Olympic gold medalist Carl Lewis. <laughs> Okay, these all sound like must-sees, and I'm certain they're going to make for great fodder for upcoming episodes. Now, where can folks find you at on Twitter if they don't already know? Uh, My Twitter handle is just simply Foy Wonder, F-O-Y-W-O-N-D-E-R. 
All right, and I am at Jinx1981. As always, you can uh, scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That is at Scream Addicts. Folks, thanks so much for listening and for giving this uh, sort of new Scream Addicts experiment a shot. I had a blast. Foy, how about you? How are you, how are you feeling about this? I, I can't I, – I'm still baffling by the fact I, – I, somehow, I last time I was on, I managed to spend over an hour talking about a movie that's only 65 minutes and had 40 minutes of plot – and this time I managed to like, hey, you know what? This will be a quick, simple episode. And we went almost 80 minutes talking about the death of Ocean View Park. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I hope that people can, uh, they can expect more of the same from us in the future. So, folks, uh, we don't know exactly when we'll be back with this. Uh, you're going to be getting more Hammer Pubs soon, probably some more original, I don't know, original recipe episodes at some point in the future. But I don't know, Foy, what do you say? About a month? We, we, yeah. we aiming for once monthly? Yes, we'll probably be back sometime in April. Good and, deal. And, and sooner or later, we'll we'll drag Feeny back, and we'll do uh, we'll do the Stone Man episode, no matter how much you want to fight it. <sighs> I already committed to it. I said I would. I'll be good to my word, but I'm not going to be happy about it. The people demand it. There's one guy who demands it. There's one dude on Twitter. That's literally the only person on the planet. <laughs> he's he's our only fans. Oh, God. We, we should be charging him. All right, folks. We will see you then in about a month. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And please let us know. Hit the comments section. Uh, scream at us, like I said, on Facebook or Twitter. Or you can go ahead and at Boy or myself on Twitter. Just find us and let us know uh, what you thought of this episode. Let us know if you wind up watching the movie and what you thought of it. And uh, I don't know. Maybe suggest a couple of movies that you would like us to see. I don't think that you're going to be able to find anything more obscure than Foy himself would find, but you know what? That's your challenge. See if you can't beat him. In any case, thanks so much, and uh, hey, have a great weekend.